hope you all had a good new year and a wonderful Christmas time. I realize I've talked to several people today and just asked them about how their Christmas was. And my question for today in talking to you was this. What brought you the most joy this Christmas? And the answer to that question was on all over the all ends of the spectrum. Some people thought it was just great, saw their entire family, had everybody. Some people spent it all by themselves. Some people, everything went just according to plan. Others, nothing went according to plan. Some people are all wrapped up, are all wrapped up celebrating by December 24th. And some people will not finish until January 24th. By show of hands, how many of you have taken down all of your Christmas decorations? Okay. How many of you are hanging in there till February? Okay. Got a few folks. I always enjoy this kind of year, this, this time of year, because specifically because of the, the lag between Christmas and New Year's. It's a time to, to reflect, to think about the year that was, uh, also to look ahead to think about the year that is. That being said, there's probably no other time of the year when my family is more annoyed with me than at the beginning of the year. Because they get all excited. It's time to set some goals. And so I begin mapping out my life and looking at different areas and evaluating and thinking and got all of these things that I want to do, books that I want to read, ways, relationships that I want to form, uh, things that I want to do, plans that I have goals to set. And you say, well, why would your family be annoyed at that? Because they know what's coming. They know dad in his goal-setting mode is going to ask all of them about what their goals are, what they want to do. And he's going to, going to come with that extra amount of pressure. Um. So I tried to lay off that a little bit this year, not be quite as intense. But if you're a goal-oriented type A person, I speak your language. Uh, I get it. This, type of, this time of year is exciting. Uh, one of the things that we are doing as a family, and I hope your family is as well, I talked about it this morning in the welcome, is the daily Bible reading. And so we decided uh, as a family that we were going to do the Chronological Bible. Do that version Bible app uh, that the, we, we sent the links to. And by the way, if you're watching online, they'll drop that link to that, the, the website again. You can, you can look at those plans for yourself. I love and I hate the daily Bible reading plan. This one in particular. You say, why would a preacher hate the daily Bible reading plan? It's a good question. And the answer to that is, I know what's coming. You see, I've been a Christian a long time and done a lot of reading through the Bible. And I know what's coming with daily Bible reading. See, daily Bible reading plans, no matter what one you do, here's how it works. If you're doing chronological, you get going in Genesis. You're exhausted by Exodus. You're lost in Leviticus. You're numb in Numbers. And you are done by Deuteronomy. 
I know we mean well, and then Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 is real exciting, and, and there's lots of good lessons, but you know what's coming, and so do I. In fact, I want to take you there this morning to Genesis chapter 5. If you've been in the chronological Bible reading plan, Genesis chapter 5 is where you want to turn. I'll just give you fair warning because this is what's coming. Genesis chapter 5 is the list. Now, there's a lot of questions I have about the Bible. There's a lot of answers that I don't have in the Word. But when I come to the lists, there's a tinge in my heart, just a, a small, tiny bit of exasperation of Lord why did we need all this detail? I can't even pronounce these names. Well, why do we have to know all of these names and the numbers and, and the whole bit? But we pressed forward this past week as we entered into Genesis chapter 5. And so, for your pleasure, if you're not doing a daily Bible reading, I want to read through Genesis chapter 5. Because I think in our tendency to want to push past it, we miss something. We miss a great lesson. But you've got to slow down. You've got to pay attention so you don't miss it. Genesis chapter 5, I'll read most of it, but there, there's a phrase that I want you to repeat because it's repeated multiple times in this chapter. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Can you even imagine Living that long? I mean, I know Sonny Banning is getting close, but, but not quite. What was it like to live nearly a millennia? The stories he could tell, we digress. Adam lived for 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he, after he fathered Enosh 807 years. And other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years. Hold on a second, this is where it gets good. And he died. And when Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahaliel. Kenan lived after he'd fathered Mahaliel. By the way, if you don't know how to pronounce a word in the Bible, here's a little trick I used to teach teenagers all the time. Here's the trick. You ready? No one else knows how to pronounce it either. So just fake it till you make it, okay? He fathered Mahaliel 840 after he fathered Mahaliel, 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Then all the days of Canaan were 910 years. And wait for it, if you didn't see it coming, here's the theme. 
and he died. And when Mahaliel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahaliel lived after he'd fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahaliel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived after he'd fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years. And can you help me out with it now? And he died. Now we come to the one exception in the story to make it exceptional. We'll come back to this guy in a second. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. And after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years, except the story ends differently, doesn't it? Enoch walked with God, and he was not... For God took him. Which VBS stories aside, that is just a hilarious point in the story. I mean, you just, just got to imagine Enoch's children and, 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 and wife and grandchildren. Has anybody seen dad? I don't know. <laughs> he was here just a minute ago. For God took him. And when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. And Methuselah had lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. The oldest living person chronicled in the Bible. Oh, wait. There's one more part. Say it with me now. And he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work, from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. And thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years. And you know the end of the story. Say it together now. And he died. It's interesting to me that sometimes we got caught up in how long they lived. Or, gosh, we could calculate the, the age of the earth if we just work backwards from this point. And, or, or, or look at, or when did this guy, and who fathered this person, and, and when did Noah come in, and how did that work? And we miss... Perhaps, if we're not wise, the phrase that is there again and again and again since the curse came in, all of them, all of the stories of God's people of God's story, no matter who they were, with just a couple of exceptions, end in the same way. And he died. Good, uplifting, encouraging sermon this morning, isn't it? Thank you, Levering. Appreciate that. Hang with me. We do well to read the pages of the book, but we miss an opportunity to grow in great wisdom if we don't realize that we are part of the same story. Had three funerals this week, lest you think that the preacher was off. I mean, I know you think the preacher's off, but for different reasons. 
Three funerals. Three different people. Different in faith, different in maturity, different ages. Same ending. And he died. And she died. And as we begin a new year, the exciting part about it is all that's in front of us. But make not the mistake of believing that any of those days is guaranteed. Turn to Psalm chapter 90. Much of Psalms is not written by Moses, but I want to look at one in particular that is. Moses had quite a story. And in this psalm, he is actually writing a prayer. Verse 9 of Psalm chapter 90, if you're following along at home or if you're following along here. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. And yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. That that, that old song, I'll fly away, O glory. It's a little more upbeat than Psalm chapter 90. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? These are, these are not popular subjects, but, but Moses was a realist. And he certainly was a man of faith. He didn't doubt God. But he wrote and he understood that life goes by quickly. And so what does he say in part of conclusion of this? Verse 12. So... Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. It's easy to talk in the intellectual exercise about three people who died who you may or may not know. But the truth is that your day is coming too. And so is mine. That our story, like those in Genesis Chapter 5, in in all sense, ends in the same way. And the word of Scripture from Psalm 90, Moses' wisdom for us, is so, if we are given this number of days, and if it goes by quickly, and we will soon fly away, then teach us to number our days. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. Talk to older people, and here's how I define older. Anyone who's 43 and above would be older, because I'm 42. But, but it's true, that the older that you get, the more often you hear this phrase, it goes by fast. My daughter turned 10 this year. 10, 10, 10 years have elapsed from the time when I brought her home, carried her in one hand like that. And I know that the next ten are not far behind. And I'll probably be walking her down the aisle someday. 
in another 10 years, uh, we'll be empty nesters. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. No matter who you are, male, female, rich, poor, young, old, if you want to be wise, may you number your days. The key to to gaining wisdom is knowing that you have a finite amount of time. No one is ever more keenly aware of time than a preacher preaching on Sunday morning. The elders asked me to bring this up to let me know when my time was out. But a lot of us live our lives like preachers preach, which is paying no attention to the clock at all. And maybe it would be wise if we would consider that we are running out of time. You and I, all of us. We are closer now to our end than we have ever been. So my question is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with the time you've been given? It slips away, not to steal from certain soap operas, but like sands through the hourglass, these are the days of our lives. They slip slowly at first. When you're a child, the days go by so slowly. And the older you get, the faster it goes. And when you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s, decades go by like that. It's just like the hourglass. At first, it seems to be forever. It seems like it will take forever for this tiny little vessel to fill up with blue sand, but we know that it will. But it seems to go faster toward the end than it does at the beginning, because at the beginning, we have all of this time right here, all of this sand. And this is how children look at time. They have plenty. They, They never worry about it. They never think about it. They have all of the days of their lives to achieve the things that they want to achieve until until they don't. There are certain tragedies when a child dies far too young. A teenager dies in a car accident. And we think, how could that be? They had so much time. The scripture says, number your days. Because you don't know how many you have. Let's move from Moses to Paul in the book of Ephesians. Paul gives us some practical wisdom on this. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13 was where we'll start. If you're following along. Ephesians 5, 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is.
this lesson is very simple. There's one point. You are running out of time. And you can ignore that fact. You can pretend like it doesn't exist. But it doesn't change the fact that the sands are slipping through the hourglass. And someday, and you're closer to that day now than ever, will be the end of your days of life here on earth. And so Paul says, look carefully then how you live. Pay attention. Walk with wisdom. The first thing he says is, wake up. This is the practical part of the sermon, okay? Wake up. Wake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. If you want to be a good Christian parent, and you have teenagers, and they've been taking advantage of the Christmas break and sleeping a little longer, just as they begin to get back to school, you throw open the door and you flip on the light and say, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. But not to pick on teenagers, because there's a whole lot of adults who sleepwalk their way through life. They keep doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting different results. And they stay in a job that they hate for 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 and 40 years. Miserable, but, but too afraid to flee from the security that it offers And so they live their life in misery. You know, the number one regret of nursing home residents as they near the end of their life can be summed up in one word. Regret. story was done several years ago about a interviews that uh, this reporter had done with local nursing home residents. And they, they put up all their wisdom and kind of boiled it down. And several practical steps. But I, I noticed the tinge of regret In each of their answers, take a little more risk. Spend more time with your family. Worry less about the future. Dream big and don't be afraid to be bold. Can you hear it in their voice? The tinge of regret, because they know they had the opportunity to make the most of every opportunity, and they didn't. And they find themselves alone in a room, thinking about all of the what-ifs. You and I are running out of time. So wake up! You're welcome. Rise from the dead. Most men go to the graves with their song still in them. Please sing it. For you don't know how much time you have left to sing. The second thing he says then is walk wisely. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
Many people will say, I don't have time to read the Bible. I just don't have time to pray. You know, going to worship is really hard. It takes a lot of effort. Paul would say, walk wisely. People will say, I don't have the time, but man, new series is coming out on Hulu. Got to get all those episodes in before it breaks over. Yeah. You don't have time, do you? Don't deceive yourself. You have plenty of time. You just have to walk wisely in how you use it. Story is told in Luke chapter 18 of two men. It's interesting because in Luke chapter 18, we, we never really put these stories together, but there's two men who lived their lives very differently, and yet they were very close. They were very similar in, in how they lived their lives. They were, they were both rich. They had plenty of money. Very successful. But both of them approached an opportunity very differently. Luke chapter 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do commit uh, murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I've kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. And distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. You see, he had the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He got the right answer. But he had the wrong response. When he heard these things, he became sad, for he was extremely rich. Though that man was rich and young, And certainly successful by the world's standards. In God's eyes, he was a fool. Man number two, one chapter over. Luke chapter 19. He entered Jericho and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, and he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. You see, two men, both young, both rich, both successful, but two very different responses. And Paul would say Zacchaeus responded wisely. Will you? Will you walk wisely? When the opportunity between 
you and God, and there's something that gets between that, will, will you walk away from it? Will you give up that job that doesn't ever allow you to worship God regularly? Oh, you might have a hefty 401k, but you'll end up spiritually bankrupt in eternity. Are you willing to leave that relationship? As a Christian, you're in a relationship with someone, and and they're not God-fearing. No, they say they love Jesus, but they don't act like it, and they don't live like it. But you hold on to them because you're so worried of being alone. And Paul would say, walk wisely because the days are evil. The first thing you have to do is wake up and choose to be intentional with your life. You only get one. What are you going to do with it? And once you make that decision, it comes to number two. And that is, you have to choose to walk wisely, to make the most of every opportunity. Paul continues, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How do you know what the will of the Lord is? This seems like a large demand, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. That's why reading his word is so important. It's the only way that I know of that you can know his will. But I listen to the preacher. I listen to Steve. He does a great job. Yeah, but but you need to read the word for yourself. What would it be like for your children as they were young and you spoon-fed them everything, right? But you decided, you know, it's a lot of work for them to chew their own food. So I'm just going to continue spoon-feeding them five and six and seven. They were teenagers. They went to the youth group. Every time they went to a Devo, your mom would be right there feeding you food. As you grew up, you went to college, you went to the cafeteria. There's mom standing right beside you. Now, honey, get this. Now, honey, get that. Ridiculous. It's crazy. No person would be self-sufficient. But there are people who live their spiritual lives Expecting others to spoon feed them. I'm not trying to shame you or guilt you. I'm I'm trying to admonish you gently. Open up God's word. It's the only way to know God's will. Romans chapter 12 says this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The the third step, the first one's wake up. The second is walk wisely. And the third is get wisdom. The writer of Proverbs says, seek wisdom, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. This year, one of the things I'm pursuing more intentionally is mentorship. I need people who are smarter than me, and I need to spend time with those men so I can be a better Christian, so I can be a better leader, so I can be a better husband, so I can be a better dad. But all people have their limits. If you want to be wise in the truest sense of the word, 
then shut off Netflix and Hulu. I'm not even saying cancel it permanently. Just do one less show a day. You'll gain three and a half hours in the week. And spend some time with your Creator who made you and formed you. And know His will which is pure and best and perfect. Psalm 119 is a beautiful psalm that talks about the the power and the efficacy of God's Word. I'm not going to read all of Psalm 119. But but there's an interesting verse in verse 37 of Psalm 119. It says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Psalm 119.37 Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. And there's so much out there that's worthless. It's just worthless in the scheme of your life. What's the news cycle of the day? What's the politics of the day? What's, what's everybody else doing on social media? What's playing on Hulu or Netflix? These are worthless things. They're stealing your time. It's the most precious resource you have. And you're running out of it. Teach us to turn our eyes from worthless things. And turn to God's wisdom. Seek God's wisdom above all things. Do not be conformed to the world. Romans 12.2 says. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, if you want to change you, you have to start by changing your heart, changing your mind. And you can't have a new mind and a new heart if you're watching the same old garbage. You're reading the same old garbage. If you're looking at worthless things. Turn your eyes toward things that are worthful and helpful And that will renew your mind that you may practice the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the first thing you got to do is wake up. Second thing you got to do is walk wisely. The third thing you have to do is seek wisdom. And the last thing you need to do is James chapter 1. Found in James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, we put a lot of energy and effort and time so you all could hear the word. So you can hear it at home, watching on your couch or driving along the road. So you can hear it later in the podcast or watch it on Vimeo. Or make sure that you can hear it well here in the auditorium. We put a lot of effort into making sure you're able to hear the word. But James says that's only half the equation. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget, uh, forgets what he looks, what is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, perseveres. And being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, 
he will be blessed in his doing. And see, reading God's Word is great. We want you to do that. But Bible reading is useless if it's not accompanied by Bible doing. Bible reading doesn't matter a whole lot if it doesn't cause you to change your heart and change your life and change your actions. How? By yourself, by your own efforts? No, through Christ, through the power of His Spirit given you at baptism. His power working, which is at work within you to renew you in your inner man. To change you from the inside out. This time of year, it's very popular for people who want to change from the outside in. And God calls us to change from the inside out. You and I are running out of time. You have about... 30 minutes less than you had at the beginning of this sermon. So my question is, what are you going to do with the time that remains? It's up to you. I titled this sermon, What Shall It Be? Because you get to decide what you do with the remainder of time. You're going to live exactly this much time, the same way that you lived out this much time? Are things going to change? If you're ready to change, the only way to do that in a permanent sense is through Jesus the Christ. If you need Him, uh, the only way into Christ, as He commanded, is to believe in Him and to be baptized. But if, if you've done that and you need a deeper change, one of our shepherds would be honored to pray with you and pray for you. And we'll pray with you and for you as a congregation if that's needed. But whatever we do... May you not miss this moment because, because we all are running out of time. And then he died. Was the last words of their story will be the last words of ours. Unless, unless you're in Jesus Christ who gives us hope beyond death, who takes the sting and the power out of death through the power of the resurrection. And then, we're ready for the end of time. This morning, if you have a need, whatever it might be, meet one of our shepherds at the back and they'll help you in any way that is necessary. Won't you come as together we stand and sing?